There's a King Jabin, it's a dynastic name, and he will mobilize a federation of northern uh, Canaanite peoples, to use that term broadly, and there will be a battle royal. Joshua had to face the ultimate foe before obtaining victory. How did he succeed? Find out today on Our Jewish Roots. Thank you for joining us today. I am David Hart. I'm Kirsten Hart. I'm Joshua. And I'm Caleb. Rochim Habayim. Welcome, friends. Welcome. Guys, this, this week, I love a good villain in a story. Now, not, not for the sake of it being bad, but I love to see what happens to the villain when he faces off with someone good. Mm. I and mean, this is really good and evil. Yeah. This is good guy, bad guy. Yep. Uh, uh -huh. You know, we, we, the word grage is out. I don't know if you've heard that. Grage, no, we, cool. We've been painting walls at our home, uh -huh. and one of my favorite colors is grage, because it's not really dark, it's not really light, it's kind of right in the middle. But but this story is not grage, it's black, it's white. That's it's right. good and evil. And that's not a popular message today, guys. People don't want to know that there's good and evil in the world. They want to live in that relativism, that, that gray zone. Uh, just like modern superhero movies, all the bad guys are just misunderstood villains, you know? There's no real evil in the world, but there is real evil in the world. And this King Jabin is a bad dude, and he gathers this coalition of, of all these kings of the Northern Front to, for this final conflict against the Israelites, and we know God is going to be on so the side of the Israelites. He always will be. He always will be. <laughs> I think about Hollywood making evil look like, eh, it's okay, everything's good. Yeah. No bad, no evil. But, but that's not the case with God. Yeah. And, and we want to be on the side of good, on the side of the Lord every time. God gave the nations a chance to repent, but they chose not to, and this is their downfall. That's right. Right now, let's go to Dr. Seif's teaching on location in Israel. The southern campaign had gone remarkably well, much to the chagrin of the locals. So you might recall sometime prior, the Israelites were in dread fear because the locals were so tall and they felt like grasshoppers. But here the fortunes of wars has shifted. The southern uh, federation of Canaanite peoples had been decimated and word gets up north and there's trouble in River City. There's a King Jabin, it's a dynastic name and he will mobilize a federation of northern uh, Canaanite peoples, to use that term broadly, and there will be a battle royal. Before I show you from the scripture, let me pull out a map. Uh, it's not your modern uh, garden variety map, but something that might have been used uh, akin to what had been used by the locals when they fought here many, many, many years ago. And just to show, if you will, this is the Mediterranean. 
the Romans called it Mare Nostrum, I know that I'm getting ahead, uh, called Our Sea. And the reason why I mentioned it is that Jabin here at Hatzor was so famous that ancient documents in form of political alliances that he had with the states out into the sea, Phoenicians, the Cretans, uh, in Cyprus, and he was well-connected politically, as I noted earlier, with all the peoples round about, and he is going to mobilize his energies to hold at bay these encroaching Israelites that are there with the sense of a divine mandate that God has spoken to Moses and directed them onward, and Joshua is going onward. We're going to hear from Amnon ben Sur, professor at Hebrew University, who's going to talk a little bit about Hatzor, and then I want to talk a little about the tribal area roundabout, and then open up the Bible to consider the story. We have a huge destruction of the Canaanite city. Wherever we dig, whether it is on the Acropolis, whether it is in the lower city, the Canaanite period ends with a huge destruction, sometimes more than a meter of debris. Ashes, uh, wood, bricks, fallen bricks, uh, mutilated statues, and, and the like, which indicate, first of all, that the disaster was human-made. It's no earthquake, because no earthquake will mutilate the statues in a systematic way. So it was man-made. And by now, we can narrow it down to about the middle of the 13th century BC. If we're talking about biblical sites, Hatzor is the number one site. There is no other which can even get close because if you're talking just about the period which we have, you want the Canaanites, you have them. You want the destruction of Joshua, you have. You want pro, uh, judges, you have. You want Solomon, you have. You want uh, Jeroboam, you have. You want Ahab, you have. You want Pekah, you have. You can show, you can have the debate at Hatzor. You can show this is the gate which, according to the Bible, was built by Solomon in the time of Solomon. Now, you tell me it was not, let's argue about it. You see what I mean? But the, there's no other site which has that many uh, uh, strata which are somehow related to the biblical narrative. I have here Hatzor in a bolder, darker print and roundabout in a lighter print, a notation of the tribes who after the conquest of the South and the North and some other ancillary battles eventually are going to go to the, their inheritance. And I want to note that there was an inheritance that was given to the people of Israel in this land, an inheritance that was yesterday, today, and continues on into tomorrow. While speaking of yesterday, today, and tomorrow, let's open up the eternal word and consider something of what's noted therein. And where else would I want to go but to the book of Joshua, the 11th chapter. It's always nice to see how biblical archaeology corroborates the biblical text. We're going to uh, consider a great war that was fought here in Hetzor, and you can even see the burn marks. Uh, the biblical testimony is very clear that there was Aish, Hebrew word for fire, and it's noted in the bricks, it's noted in the mud, even many years later. These stones are crying out and saying, you can trust this literature. Well, what does the text say? In Joshua chapter 11, verse 1, it came to pass that Jabin, 
king of Hazor, heard these things. Jabin was a dynastic name that had gone on for centuries. What things did he hear? He heard about the Israelite conquest of the south. And he was not a happy camper. We read on in the literature, he mobilizes peoples round about. And there is a battle royal that is fought here. We're told in verse 10, however, difficulties notwithstanding that Joshua, he was uh, successful in his endeavors, and that Hetzor was struck, and the king was struck with the edge of the sword, an expression that denotes victory. We're told in verse 12, all the cities of the kings and all their kings Joshua took and struck. Again, a battle royal a battle that went to the Hebrews. I want you to look with me, please. We're told in verse 18 that war went for a long time. Not every trial in life goes away just like that. Sometimes you have to walk it out. But there's a positive end result. Go with me, please, to verse 23. We're told that Joshua took the whole land according. Now, this is important to me. It's not just a war. Uh, we're told that it's according to all that the Lord had said to Moses. There's divine promise in this. This is called the promised land because from on high it's commended. A certain place is commended to a certain people. We're told because the Lord said to Moses and Joshua gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their divisions. What do we note from the biblical text? We note that there was a battle, a battle royal that raged. And we know that it went to Israel. And it wasn't just the good fortunes of war, but rather it's God himself leading a particular people to a particular place to accomplish his particular purposes. Guys, not only were the Israelites outnumbered by King Jabin and his coalition, but they had these high-tech vehicles of war, Josh. They had chariots, they had cavalry. The Israelites just had these puny little weapons. And so God gives them a battle plan to hamstring the horses and to burn the chariots, which uh, most rabbis believe that they, they did the surprise attack at night. They had to sneak up and cut the tendons of these horses and burn their chariots. And then it set the armies of the wicked into disarray. They were fleeing toward their cities. It says Joshua himself conquered Hatsor. He burned it with fire and they took all these cities down and, and they obtained victory. It was a long time coming. You had 100 year old Joshua at this point after fighting seven years, but they swept up all these kings in one fell swoop. It was amazing. After the seven years of fighting, the Bible declares that Joshua conquered 31 of those uh, Canaanite kings. The yes. I don't know how many kings mm -hmm. y'all guys have destroyed. 31's a big deal. And God finally says, you know what, Josh? You've been working really hard. You're getting kind of old. I'm going to go ahead and, and cut you some slack. I want you to separate the land, divide it up to the 12 tribes of Israel. Yeah. There's still guys you got to hunt down and fight. Mm. I want them to go ahead and do that. And so Josh's job, Joshua's yeah. job was to go ahead and delineate that land mm -hmm. so that the 12 tribes could then go out and spread that uh, go out and hunt those people down. Take that act of faith now, the themselves. question you have to ask yourself yeah. is, we know that Joshua was more than a conqueror. He was diligent. But what did the 12 tribes do? How did they pick up that task? Well, they, they failed at that. And that's the next episode. We're going to talk more into their failure of their victory at taking the land. 
But this brings me to an important point, Josh. You know, in Genesis, it talks about in the days of Peleg, the land was divided. It's, uh, most people take that to believe, okay, there was continental drift or something that happened after the time of Noah. Um, but if you look into these uh, rabbinical writings, these extra biblical sources, which aren't, you know, scripture, but like the Book of Jubilees, Book of Enoch, the Book of Jubilees states um, that God had Noah cast lots and divide the land amongst the territories of Ham, Shem, and Japheth, his sons. So the land was divided amongst the territories. Well, the interesting thing is that Shem got the territory, what we would call Canaan, from the brook of Egypt all the way up to Lebanon. The land of Israel was originally Shem's. But here you have Canaan, the already cursed grandson of Noah comes up and he decides to sit down and squat on Shem's land, on that territory. And thus when God called Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees to the promised land, he was just returning the land that was rightfully his. It's, Squatters, it, it just blows man. my ma mind. That was originally God's plan for Shem. Well, he had a lot of plans for him, and there was a lot of weird things that went on with yes. the squatters. But let's find out exactly what happened as we cut back to see this delineation to the 12 tribes. Canaan has proven to be everything promised by Adonai. Just as lush as it was when Moses sent Caleb and me to scout the land. And now the time has come to partition the land to the tribes of our people. Eleazar, the priest, joins me on this hallowed occasion. Just as we've done in Gilgal, we have gathered in Shiloh to cast lots for the land that the Lord has given us. We do so to confirm what Adonai said in ages past to Jacob and then to Moses. It will not be Joshua nor I who will decide. It will be the Lord God of Israel. You've surveyed the land. You know it well. We have gathered in Shiloh to cast lots for Judah, Ephraim, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. They have already received their portions this side of the Jordan. Gad, Reuben, and the half-tribe of Manasseh have acquired their portions over the Jordan to the east, as was pledged by Moses. Benjamin. The land between Judah and Ephraim. Simeon. The land within Judah with the cities and villages encircling Beersheba. Zebulun. The land as far as Seyrid, then to the north to the valley of Jethel. Issachar. The land from Jezreel reaching to Tabor. Asher. The land from Mount Carmel to the city of Tyre. Naphtali. The land from the Terebinth tree in Zayanim to the Jordan and the Kinnereth. Dan. The land from Zora 
to Joppa. And to you, Joshua, son of Nun, we give Timnath Sirah in the hill country of Ephraim, just as you requested. It was a dream come true. His mission complete, Joshua would spend the last few years of his life in the green heartland of Israel, within the boundaries given to his tribe, Ephraim. We've come here to Shiloh many times before, as it is such an important biblical site, and this time especially because it's central to the very land allotted to Joshua. It happened that the Lord blessed the land with rain on our visit, so we found shelter within some ancient ruins, while outside it poured. Everyone in Israel prays for rain, and I'm good with that, but I say, Lord, why today here in Shiloh, where we have a special TV program? It is special, but you know what? So is rain. If there wasn't rain, we wouldn't have any of these goodies right here. We wouldn't have them today, and they surely wouldn't have had them yesterday. They were all farmers, and they relied on the produce of the earth. In fact, mayim, the word for water, is related to the word shamayim, or heavens. The point is, you look at the rain, uh, this outpouring is blessings. Even in biblical literature, we talk about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Lord, pour out your blessings, and it's water language. And it, it, it harks to this agrarian language. Well, we're in the thick of it here uh, in Shiloh, a fascinating place today, an important place yesterday in Joshua's day. We're told, in fact, in the 18th chapter that when the battles had run their course, uh, Joshua led the Israelites and they knocked out the backbone of the local Canaanite resistance. And now it's time to divide up the tribes. They get their parcels of real estate, their inheritances. We're told in the 18th chapter and that the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled themselves together at Shiloh. And they gathered themselves, they assembled themselves at the tent of meeting. And this is where it was, you know. In fact, before Jerusalem became the religious center, it was Shiloh for hundreds and hundreds of years, and it all starts here. And the reason why they gather here is that when they're looking to carve out the land, we want the good Lord to lead in the apportionment. Because, you know, people get jealous. Well, so-and-so got better than me, this and that. And we're looking for God's hand, even in setting up things like that. Thus, land was divvied out by lot. There's a sense in which let, let providence, let good fortune decide who gets what. And that's how the game was played. We're told in verse 10 specifically to read here in the Hebrew, and Joshua, we're told, cast lots for them at Shiloh, uh, before the face of the Lord, before the Lord. 
Vayachalek Shom Yehoshua Ed Haaretz. And with that, then, Joshua divided up the land, Livnei Yisrael, to the children of Israel by their tribes, by their divisions. And so it is, as I'd said, when it came to dividing up the land, it was determined by providence, not by, you know, jockeying for position, who gets this real estate, who gets that. Well, this is a story from yesterday. It really begs the question, what does it mean today? And it's worth spending some time on that because there's a difference in the way the respective two testaments are oriented. I say that because in the New Testament, Christians are promised that our commonwealth is in heaven. And the good Lord in the 14th chapter of the Gospel of John said, I go there to prepare a place for you. Uh, so for the Christian, the principal inheritance is on the other side of the grave. For the Hebrew, the principal inheritance is here. And here it's divided up. And many Christians have trouble with the territorial dimension to Old Testament religion. That is to say, it's tethered to real estate, it's tethered to land. Even when you observe that, and I hope you see it's clearly, I hope you see it clearly, because for my money, it is clearly to be observed. But even when you see it clearly in the literature, you read about it back then, it really begs the question, how can someone bring this forward and apply it to today? In other words, what does the story for the ancient Jew have to do with you? It's a reasonable story to my way of thinking. Does the notion of a defined inheritance only relate to them then with a heavenly bound inheritance for us today? Or can the believer in Jesus think in terms of an inheritance for today? Well, by way of application, let me commend this to you. If you were a farmer in ancient Israel, the fact that you had land apportionment meant that you had a place to ply a trade and enjoy good success in response to your labors. And to that end, that story in our world relates to the story in this world right here. Whether it's the fruits here, whether it's the instruction here, whether it's the life that you're living there on the other side of that lens in your living room. Can God lead you to a place where you can make a difference and carve out some space for yourself in life to enjoy good success in life? I think, friends, the answer to that question in no uncertain terms is yes. There's a good God. In fact, in the New Testament, Jesus says that he'll lead us. He's a shepherd who leads us to pasture. And we hear his voice behind us saying, this is the way, walk in it. Friends, walk with God. And you, like the Jew back then, you today can find your place in your promised land. And you too, like Joshua, can be more than a conqueror. I love what Jeff says here. He's absolutely right. God has a plan 
a promise, a territory for his sons and daughters. And 99% of the time, there's a squatter there named Satan who is waiting to try to convince you that it's not yours, yeah. that God did not have good plans for you or anything for you, and you have to fight. So many times we get discouraged and we say, God, I thought you had a plan for me. I thought that you had place for me. Why is this happening to me? But he says, stand up and fight. He says this to Joshua in this story, and he says this to you. It is your responsibility to stand up and to claim the territory that God has for you, not to back down to what the enemy does or the plans that he has for you or the shots that he takes against you, because that is your promise. The plan and place is very interesting. Yeah. Don't we, all, we all want a plan. We all want a place. Yeah. And it's so hard to look at the Middle East right now mm. with people, say the Palestinians, okay, yeah. that have been there for a long time. They're saying, yeah. this is our land. And the Jewish people of 1948 on are saying, no, this is our covenant land. Yes. So the Palestinians are saying to the Israelis, you all are the squatters. Yeah. You think you can occupy this land, it's ours. Which we know biblically is not true. Uh, interesting, our friend Shaul explained to us that Palestinians, you know, comes from Philistines, that term, which actually meant invaders. They were seafaring invaders. So when Palestinians go around and say, I'm Palestinian, I have a right to land, they're just saying, we're invaders. We took it over his land. It's, it's a spiritual, I think, declaration of that. But in all honesty, Palestinians, uh, most of them were refugees from Arab nations that were kicked out, that were being annihilated. They came to Israel. They were accepted and op with open arms. Yasser Arafat, one of the, the famous PLO terrorists, heads of the Palestinians, he was Egyptian-born. He wasn't, you know, born right. and raised in, in the land. Um, if, there's always been a small presence of Jewish people in the land throughout history, even after 70 AD when they were scattered. Mm -hmm. And um, you see throughout history that, you know, there was occupiers over the Jewish land. Rome occupied Jewish land and the Emperor Hadrian renamed Israel Palestine as a mockery to them mm -hmm. in connection to the wow. Philistine people. And so that, that term, you know, you had the Crusaders come in, the Ottomans, you know, the Muslims. And so, yeah, there was a small Arab presence that was there for a while. But all these people that had held Israel under their dominion, they were the occupiers. They had their own home country, but this was God's country that he gave to the children of Israel. And I think what mm. is fascinating, every time that we go on tour to Israel, mm. it, there's new discoveries proving Absolutely. who the land belongs to. Yes. And some of those discoveries are literally just inches below the dirt. Every time that we go to Israel, we, we there, see new things that have been uncovered literally from the dirt that prove whose land it is. We would love for you to go with us to the actual covenant land, the land of Israel, and see these, these proofs. That's not good English. <laughs> see the proof that God's land is called for the Israelis and his hand is on there. So right. come with us, we go two times a year. I also just wanna say, guys, we are finishing up this series. So excited to have you all, not just as guests, but at this table every time. And we couldn't do it without your help. We ask for your financial help to keep us going weekly to hear the insight from these Jewish guys right here. It's time to go right now, mm. so we end with Sha'alu Shalom, Yerushalayim. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Join us right now for additional content that is only available on our social media sites. Visit our website, levitt.com, for the current and past programs, the television schedule, tour information, and our free monthly newsletter.
which is full of insightful articles and news commentary. View it online or we can ship it directly to your mailbox every month. Also on our website is the online store. There you can order this week's resource or you can always give us a call at 1-800-WONDERS. Your donations to Zola Levitt Ministries helps us to support these organizations as they bless Israel. Please remember we depend on tax-deductible donations from viewers like you.